The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. And welcome to the show. Another beautiful day today in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and across the United States. Hey, it storms, it's hot. We just have it all in the United States today. I want to say a special hi to Yoshiko Dart, uh, my good friend. We're going to be thinking about you a lot, Yoshiko. Um, you know, Yoshiko lost Justin several years ago, and Justin Dart hero, champion to all people with disabilities. We'll be thinking about him a lot because, of course, July 26th is the 23rd anniversary of the Americans with Disabilities Act. Isn't that amazing? That is 23 years ago, and here we are today still talking about employment. As a matter of fact, our guest today is the executive director of the John Heldred Center for Workforce Development, Rutgers University. Um, and I'm going to tell you, I've heard her speak, I've met her. Um, and first of all, Rutgers is just so awesome, working, reaching out to the disability community. And Kathy, she is just absolutely wonderful. And we are so excited to have her as our guest today. Welcome to the show, Kathy. Thanks a lot, Joyce. I'm happy to be here today. Well, as you heard me say, here we are, signed the ADA all those years ago, took care of accessibility, curb cuts, uh, Braille, you know, everything but employment, which is so amazing when you think about it. But for our listeners throughout the country and later on throughout the world, I thought we could begin by uh, you telling everyone how you first became involved in the disability employment area. Well, you know, Joyce, I worked in social services my whole career. Um, I started out at a local United Way in upstate New York. Then I spent nearly 20 years working in New Jersey state government, predominantly in their Department of Human Services. And most recently, I've been here at the Heldrick Center at Rutgers University. And I would say I spent a better part of my career focused on policy issues related to work and employment. So my involvement in the disability employment arena really stems from my, my passion, my involvement around employment policy for different kinds of people who have been traditionally marginalized from the labor market. Um, this includes welfare recipients. I worked a lot on welfare reform when I was in the state unemployed workers, which, you know, I can talk a little bit about later on and some of the work I've done in New York City, and workers with disabilities. So, as I said, in my public service career, I spent a considerable amount of time on welfare reform, and I felt then, as I do now, that in our particular country, in our capitalist democracy, that people who rely on government benefits as a source of sort of daily living are really disempowered and marginalized, and they will always 
will be. And so I used to tell the welfare recipients that I worked with many years ago that in this country there is no power in a welfare check. There's power in earning money. Oh, that is so true. And it's why I've committed myself to helping people who are marginalized in the labor market to get to work. So working in the disability area has been sort of a natural extension of my past work with welfare recipients and other unemployed workers. Oh, that is so awesome. By the way, we have questions either live or email to us ahead of time. So here's your first question from Ida in Missouri. And the question is, Kathy, would you say there are advantages for people with disabilities to attend Rutgers? Is there some special accommodations or help there? Well, I think they should want to attend Rutgers because it's a great school. (laughs) And I think that Rutgers has the same advantages all the other schools have. I do think that it would, I would be remiss to say that Rutgers, like many public universities, could do a lot better in, in terms of its accommodation. I think it's got a great career services office and it's got a great disability services office. But first and foremost, the reason why someone should come here is because they're going to get a great education. And education is really what's critical in today's labor market. Yes, and if I may comment on that without mentioning any names, there are some places that say they cater to this, but then the people graduate and they can't find employment. So that's why I think you have to put the education first. Absolutely. So you are the executive director at the John H. Heldrich Center. How about if you tell our listeners about that? Sure. Um, The Heldrick Center for Workforce Development was founded in 1997. It's located within um, the Edward Blaustein School of Planning and Public Policy at Rutgers, which is located um, in New Brunswick, New Jersey. Um, We're a university-based research and technical assistance center. Um, We're devoted to strengthening the nation's workforce. We are not a disability-centric center. We look at the entire workforce. We have about 20 full-time staff and faculty who are working on a wide variety of research and evaluation projects that reflect our priorities. And um, our work, the workforce development field is very broad and very wide, but we focus on a couple of core set of priorities. One is we look at work trends and conducting economic analysis of the U.S. labor market. We have a very popular survey series called Work Trends that has been looking at for example, in the last couple of years, the plight of a cohort of unemployed workers. Um, we also were one of the first research centers to really ask employers about the cost of accommodation in a study we did like probably about six years ago. Um, we also focus on evaluating public and privately funded workforce employment and training programs. And you'll probably hear me talk through the rest of this about the importance of, because I'm a researcher, I'll say the importance of evaluating what's being funded and seeing if it works, and if it doesn't work, we should change it. Um, The third thing we focus on is improving the employment and reemployment of very special populations, including uh, a lot of our work has been lately on older workers, unemployed workers, and people with disabilities. And then finally, we have been really looking at the nexus between specific industries, the educational requirements of these industries, and the employment look of those industries. And as a result of that, we have been running some programs for the state of New Jersey, for example, in the transportation, logistics, and distribution fields where we're working directly with 
transportation employers in the state and trying to connect them with job seekers who are looking for careers in that field. So a lot of the things we do run the gamut from research and evaluation to assisting, let's say, state agencies to develop materials and guides based on the research to publishing national research projects like our work trends to also facilitating some events and conferences to try to disseminate the research findings out there. In fact, in 2014, we were partnering with the Federal Reserve System to hold a national conference on uh, future, the future of workforce development and implications for the labor market of the future. Now, if corporations contact you about that research on uh, work, workforce trends, do you do that across the country, or is this focused in New Jersey? We do something specifically in New Jersey, and we also do things nationally. We have a lot of research um, that looks at major trends in national industries as well as focusing on what's going on in New Jersey. So we are both, you know, some people think we're just a New Jersey-based center. We are based in New Jersey, but we do a lot of our work looks at national labor market issues. Okay, here we have Ted in Kansas. Uh, Kathy, at Rutgers, do you do research on the plight of people unemployed from the recession? Actually, we have done a lot of research, and I mentioned that our work trends survey, if you go to our website, which is www.heldrick.rutgers.edu, you will find... Um, in fact, we just won an award from um, a, a national survey association we took a cohort of folks who were unemployed after the recession and we followed them over the last couple of years. And we're one of the few places around the country that really brought out the mental anguish, the physical anguish, and the devastating impact that the recession has had on unemployed people. Wow. Yeah, I am sure that is very destructive, and that would be interesting to see the results from that. Now, does that include veterans and veterans with disabilities? Well, you know, one of the things in this survey, we did not ask people whether they had a disability or not. Basically, the sort of the focus was on their unemployment. So there could be one of the things I think was interesting that we have seen in at least the 10 years since I've been at the Heldrick Center is no one really focuses on the mental health or the physical health, including whether someone has a disability of people who are unemployed. And I think this is a real detriment in our unemployment or our, should say, our reemployment system. Because when someone has loses a job, and we've been able to document the the, the devastating mental health issues, the depression, which then leads to other health issues, physical health issues, which may lead to somebody eventually going on disability, is not good for the worker and it's not good for the country. And I think um, we're hoping that our research will bring attention to those kinds of issues because it's just the, the, the amount of people who are continued to be unemployed and out of the labor market in this country is a national shame, and I think anytime we can try to bring focus to it and, and bring focus to improving our workforce system so that someone just doesn't go in front an unemployment check, but there's other things that perhaps they could get some <clears throat> mental health counseling services as well. Hmm. In other words, you feel that would change the situation? Well, I think too, uh, too often that people just the, the services that they can get or think they can get are very compartmentalized. So in this country, if you're if you lose a job, you go in to get unemployment. No one ever asks how are you doing mentally, how are you doing physically. They're just going there to get a check. And maybe by the grace of God, 
they may end up getting some services someplace to deal with their depression or to deal with maybe one reason they're unemployed is because they might have a, a, a health problem or a physical problem that can prevent them from getting a, a job or changing careers. And, but we never ask those things. We only somehow we deal with everything in a little silo in this country. And I think that's a real disadvantage and a real disservice to folks who are, who are either out of the labor market, like people with disabilities, or who've lost their job. Yeah, it's a very, very sad situation. Well, listen, we're going to come back and talk more to Kathy, but first we're going to go to break. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. Don't go away. We'll be right back with Kathy. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Hi, I'm Greg Rumberg from the TV show Heroes. One of my personal heroes is my son, who, like more than 3 million Americans, has epilepsy. When someone with epilepsy is having a seizure, their brain is temporarily producing more electricity than their body can handle. They can shake or stare or fall down. They can also even briefly lose consciousness. If you see someone having a seizure, please make sure they're comfortable and safe. And within a few minutes or less, the electrical overload will stop and they will be okay. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org. Thank you. Each week, Jimmy Gould brings you the stories and the people that you want to hear about. Tune in to A Current Life to hear about the journey to success, how our guests became the people they are today, and the highs and lows they experienced along the way. Each hour will leave you inspired and entertained as Jimmy gets up close and personal with every week's guest and shares ideas you can identify with and apply to your own life. A Current Life with Jimmy Gould airs Fridays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. How do you know if you're living with an addict? If you think you know all the recognizable signs, you probably don't. If you're listening to and reading from the so-called experts, you probably don't. You need to hear from a parent, just like yourself, who has been there and can tell you what it's like firsthand. Please listen to Afflicted by Addiction with Bradley DeHaven, Our program is heard every Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. It just might save your life or the life of someone you love. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-472. 5788. Now, please welcome back the host of Disability Matters. Here's Joy Spender. Hey, we've been talking to the executive director at the Haltree Center for Workforce Development uh, at Rutgers about various topics, a lot of which are related to unemployment, which, of course, we in the disability community face to an extremely high level, although. As Kathy has pointed out, they look at various groups uh, at Rutgers when they're doing these studies. But I wanted to ask you, Kathy, in reference to disability, uh, what are the demographics associated with the disability employment 
topics you study? Well, I would say that we don't necessarily look at any particular demographic group in the disability employment area. We've really just been focusing on, our research has focused on the workforce systems, and the, the federal and state systems that are designed to help anybody with a disability uh, get a job. I would say in the demographic end, we have had particular interest and spent a lot of time here at the Heldrick Center looking at issues of older workers, and that includes older workers who both may have a disability or those aging into disability. And I've been lucky enough to be part of an Institute of Medicine forum on aging, disability, and independence, where a highly a group of really smart people in Washington and a, and, a, and a different group. I'm the only workforce person, but there's, there's doctors and there's foundation executives, and all of it is looking at how the U.S. population is aging, and it's not just people with disabilities aging, but as people get older, they age into an age-related disability. Mm-hmm. And what does that mean for their ability to stay connected into the labor market? Because, you know, folks who are older and folks <clears throat> with disabilities both face serious obstacles in the labor market, and we also know when we look at Bureau of Labor, labor Statistics about the effects of unemployment, while people who are older are less likely to lose their job, when they do lose their job, they lose it for much longer periods of time. So in other words, if you're over the age of 50 and you lose your job, you're likely to be out of the labor market probably twice or three times as much as a younger person. And compound that with health issues or disability issues or the issues I talked about in terms of depression, it's a recipe for somebody going right on to either disability benefits or going on to unemployment or worst-case scenario, as I like to say, they're too old to hire and too young to retire, and they're in this gap where they have nothing. You know, they're in their 50s, they're not eligible for Social Security retirement or early retirement, they may not be disabled enough to be eligible for Social Security disability insurance. They have no savings, no income, and they're virtually unemployable in the eyes of many employers. So, it's, it's, so those are the kinds of we are looking at and been focusing on that sort of older adult cohort at the center. Yes, it's not a pretty it, picture, it, I should say. <laughs> well, I want to tell you, going back for a minute, when you mentioned that Institute of Medicine that you worked with, mm-hmm. that is, for all of the listeners, such a prestigious group. And I am so familiar with them because this is the first time um, two years ago that there was this year-long study on epilepsy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so spectrums of epilepsy, you know, they compiled this incredible report that came out and found out that one in 26 people in their lifetime will experience epilepsy. So I think that's really awesome that you were part of that project. It's really been a very interesting group of folks, and I'm, I'm so impressed with the, the people that are on this particular forum. And I do think, you know, the United States, we are aging as a population, and so issues regarding aging and disability if they're not on someone's priority list today, they're going to be tomorrow because we're all getting older and there's not enough young people to fill both the labor market needs as well as to invest in the Social Security system. So it's, it's, it's nice that people are starting to talk about this now. 
And we know through research and our research is that not only do people with disabilities face real discrimination in the labor market, but so do older workers. So then if you've got, if you're both aging and you have a health issue or a chronic health issue or disability, it's even tougher to be able to get back into the labor market. And as you know, with the recession, we want people to work longer and longer because they don't have enough retirement income, they don't have enough equity in their home, um, or they, or, or you know, we're raising the retirement age. So it's really critical that we try to focus on how do we keep people with disabilities and older workers in the labor market. Yeah, and you know, when you're talking about that, I'm sitting here, I'm thinking, loss of hearing, vision, heart disease, sadly, Alzheimer's, I mean, so many things, uh, heart problems, diabetes. I mean, you could go on and on of disabilities people acquire as they can acquire as they get older. And I have met a lot of people in that over 50 age you're talking about that, you know, have acquired a disability and have told me, wow, you know, now I get it. Mm-hmm. I get it now, what you meant about how hard it is to gain employment, and actually how hard it is even to integrate into the social environment. Yes, and, you know, on top of that, I think that, you know, what we have seen here at the Heldrick Center is that the labor market has vastly changed. Uh, you know, we are, we are looking at uh, globalization. We're looking at employers who have shifted responsibility for training from employer to the employee. We've seen advances in information and communications technology. We've seen the changing demographics. As I said, we're all getting older. Um, fewer opportunities for young adults in today's labor market. Uh, we've seen rises in huge unemployment rates for young workers, as well as in the Hispanic workforce, which is also, as we know, getting bigger in this country. And at the same time, um, we've seen federal policies that haven't really changed to address this whole changing labor market and so, you know, it's important for us to begin to, to really look at and talk about and research those <clears throat> issues because, as I said, it's more critically important that people remain attached in the labor market. And I, I, was, I was struck by a report that came out of the Federal Reserve about two months ago uh, by a Boston Federal Reserve researcher who was able to document that in today's labor market, the biggest indicator for being out of a job is being out of the labor market. So the longer you're unemployed, or in the case of someone with a disability, the longer you're out of the labor market, the less likely you're going to get back into the labor market because employers seeing you will see you as unemployable. That is exactly right. And several years ago, I testified uh, at EEOC, an EEOC hearing, and what prompted this is people were starting to see ads either on websites or paper or elsewhere saying, do not apply if you are currently not working. Absolutely right. And so there is documentation that employers are discriminating if you've been unemployed. And I, and I think the work we're doing here at the Center on Unemployment is so relevant to people with disabilities because the, the, the commonality is being out of the labor market. And whether you're out of the labor market because you don't possess any relevant skills or you're out of the labor market because you're older or you're out of the labor market because you had a baby or you're out of the labor market because you have a disability, 
either way, it's all the same. You're out of the labor market. And in today's economy, that is so devastating to your future because we see that employers aren't hiring people who don't have that current experience in the labor market. It's not right. It's discriminatory. But right now, that is the way it is. And so the importance is to is to try to keep people working. And this is especially important for young people and young people with disabilities, is to keep working to get an education and to, and to try to continue to gain the skills and education to be in a job and to keep a job or keep working somehow. Yes, you know, I used to be early in my career in executive search. I mean, it's always been like this. Kiss of death. I haven't worked for two years. Yes, absolutely right. And, you know, and when you translate that to someone with a disability who goes on benefits and then doesn't work for a while, the, I, sometimes I just say, you know, your ability to get back in the labor market is such an uphill battle. And so, and, and as I said, and I think, um, you know, you were talking to me on the break about Governor Markella Delaware and his National Governors Association initiative, but to begin talking now about the importance of students with disabilities and all students to get an education and stay in school. It just, it, doesn't it sound old-fashioned, but it's really the case now. Yeah, but it is. It is the case because I run into this every day if I have, uh, you know, as you know, I market people with disabilities for employment. I hire them, and then I put them out on contract with the object of them being joining that other company. And how many times people say to me, I go on the interview, and, you know, I was off a year due to, uh, a disability, whether it was surgery uh, or a mental health issue or a problem with epilepsy, whatever it was. Sure enough, on that interview, why were you off during this time? It's very hard to figure that person to figure out how to answer that question, but they get pounded on that on interviews. Mm-hmm. So you are exactly right what you're saying. I mean, it's a reality for us all the time. And we're going to talk more about that, but right now we're going to get ready to go to break. If you just joined us, we've been talking to Kathy, the Executive Director at the Heldreach Center for Workforce Development at Rutgers. And we'll be right back. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Hi, I'm Greg Grunberg from the TV show Heroes. One of my personal heroes is my son, who, like more than 3 million Americans, has epilepsy. When someone with epilepsy is having a seizure, their brain is temporarily producing more electricity than their body can handle. They can shake or stare or fall down. They can also even briefly lose consciousness. If you see someone having a seizure, please make sure they're comfortable and safe. And within a few minutes or less, the electrical overload will stop and they will be okay. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org. Thank you. In the spirit of Have Couch, Will Travel, Dr. Carol Lieberman creates a haven of sanity in an increasingly insane world. 
Each day we are bombarded with news of events that have never crossed our wildest nightmares. Society is spiraling out of control and everyone is reeling from it. But now there's an answer. The best way to keep sane in this insane world is to tune in to Dr. Carol's Couch on Voice America. Dr. Carol, a certified media psychiatrist, will broadcast live from her Beverly Hills office every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time. Call or log in and get help with whatever is sending you reeling whenever you need a soothing voice to calm and advise you. That's Dr. Carol's Couch every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. We all face some economic uncertainty in our life. What makes the difference is how we take command of that and survive. Tune in to Strategies for Financial Survival with host Michael Figueroa. Michael has been up and down the road to success several times, and along with his guests, will share the skills of survival. By assessing your strengths and skills and applying them to your future, you can make it through tough times, regardless of your field. Listen every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters. Here's Joy Spender. Hey, welcome back. We're talking to Kathy Crepsio, Executive Director at the John J. Heltridge Center for Workforce Development at Rutgers at the State University of New Jersey. And let me tell you, if you are interested in workforce and employment and why people are not working and you know someone that is, you've got to go back, get this show for them. You know you can download these shows from iTunes, or you can go to my website or Voice America and get the show downloaded. But it is so interesting, and I really think uh, educational and helpful and worth you uh, listening to. Kathy, about different states, are there states that you feel or that you see from data are shining stars and others which could use a lot of help in the area of employment? Well, unfortunately, I don't see a difference in employment rates from one state to the next. I think, you know, I think we would all say that across the board employment has been poor. But there clearly are some states that have responded to the employment challenge differently. And also there are states that have been better at looking at their differences in their employment markets and, and opportunities based on their pers- particular unique circumstances in labor markets. And I'll say what I mean. Um, and, in these, and I should say these differences present real challenges. I, I, over the last five years, I've been, I was involved in a U.S. Department of Labor grant called the National Technical Assistance Research Center for Adults with Disabilities, And we had an opportunity, I should say, it was a pleasure to work with three particular states piloting how to improve the employment rate. And then I worked with a consortium of about 25 other states. And so one is, I do want to say that there are a lot of really good people in state government trying to make change at the state level to improve and change policies. And I think there are uneven pockets of interest and innovation in many states. Um... 
But I, I think that some states that have been consistent in putting time and energy into improving economic opportunities for people with disabilities include states like Maryland, Connecticut, Washington, Virginia, Delaware, just to name a few. And, and I say consistent because one of my observations, and I'm also saying this because I worked in state government for nearly 20 years, and I sort of see what happens with states is there's an interest they're working on something, then the leadership changes and things sort of wane. So states that have been able to maintain a consistent level of activity to make some improvements are some of those states I'm talking about. That doesn't mean that other states haven't tried, but, you know, even in the best of times, you know, it's hard for there to be maintaining some consistency. One of the things I saw with some of the states that we were working with, like Minnesota, Maryland, and Connecticut was they had governor's level attention. They had every cabinet officer working on this issue. They were trying to integrate people with disabilities into their more broadly generic economic development and workforce activities. And even those states, when a governor changed things, what's the word I want? They, they sort of, they didn't fall apart, but they just sort of went into a, a lull. So I think that, you know, there's lots of states that could improve in this area. I think I'm, I'm hoping that um, Governor Markell's initiative under the National Governors Association will pump up the volume with those states and maybe engage some governors that haven't been engaged before, because I think you would probably agree with me, Joyce, executive level, you know, attention is so critically important. You know, and I, I think I said this to Governor Markell at one of the meetings I facilitated, which is when the governor says something and wants something done, it gets done. And if it's not a priority of the governor, then it's left to folks, the good folks in the bureaucracy, to try to make something happen. And unfortunately, they can't always do it alone without the attention of the governor. You know, I mean, that is, that is the way it is in the private sector. If a lot, most companies I work with, my customers, I have a relationship with the CEO. Or uh, if it's like a $15 billion company, maybe the person right beneath the CEO. But it's because you need the person from the top to let everyone know I'm committed to this. And if they know that, it's amazing how different it is. And, you know, that's absolutely right. And you're right, government's no different as the private sector. It really comes down to leadership. And, and unfortunately, with, you know, state governments, the governors change. And they, they, they come and go, and you hope that they'll embrace this issue. And I think, fortunately, they are starting to. And I do think this employment first effort, which for folks who don't know, is it, it's a sort of a grassroots effort where folks – which started out in the developmental disabilities arena, really wanted to put employment as, an, as an, a first choice for people with developmental or more significant disabilities as opposed to the way the systems and policies are where employment is an afterthought or employment is seen as a service and not as a life choice or an economic imperative. And so I think that what I, what I see with the employment first movement is that Governors can wrap their head around that concept of employment first and the importance of work. And I think 
every governor wants to be the jobs governor. Every governor wants to be the work governor, especially since the recession. When they are on the front lines of seeing massive amounts of people unemployed, so they like they can embrace that employment first and work concept, and I'm hoping that that's a mechanism that will facilitate governors taking much more of an interest. And I've seen, I should say, that over the 10 years since I've been at the Heldrick Center, I've seen the language change, that you never used to talk about people with disabilities as being part of the talent of a state, and now states are starting to use that language, and I think that's a positive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do, too. You know, when you were talking about Governor Markell, I also hope, just as you said, that that initiative continues, you know, that it isn't just a while I was the chair of the governor's committee, and I know it will continue with him, but I hope he'll be able to be a force that it continues uh, across the country. Well, I do, too, and I, but I do think the federal government has an important role to play in that continuance. I mean, a lot of the systems and a lot of the state officials rely on federal dollars to continue the system, whether it's the vocational rehabilitation system, the workforce system, the Medicaid, human services. And so, and it also is important for the federal, so it's important for the federal government to continue to also build on the momentum that the governor has started and not back away. I also think it's important that they really try to get out of some of their silos, and I think states really need some flexible sources of money to try to be more innovative, and I don't see that coming out of the feds, and I'm not quite sure I see that coming out of the foundation community as well. So hopefully if we can rally the resources, because... As much as we'd like to think that state officials do things because it's the best thing to do, many times money certainly greases things along. And so if money and policy can push some change at the state level, I'm hoping that's going to continue. Me too. I do. I hope that is going to continue. Well, since we're talking about the employment of people with disabilities, Kathy, with all the research, and by the way, that Heldred survey years ago, I used it everywhere. I mean, I thought it was outstanding. And everywhere I go, this would be in my uh, presentation. So I know that Rutgers has done research over the years, but what have you found are the major, major obstacles to the employment of people with disabilities? Well, first of all, I think low expectations and the lack of ability on the part of many people in our society to visualize employment as a viable part of someone's life with a disability is a major barrier. And part of this, as you know, is based on how society has historically treated people with disabilities. We've segregated them. We've put them in institutions. We treated them as special. Uh, We treat them, adult people with disabilities, like children, Um, So the poor expectations on the part of parents, medical professionals, siblings, uh, workers, I mean, I could say social service workers, can be devastating to someone's future. So I think that's a huge obstacle and not one to easily be remedied by a particular program or practice. I think another part is something we touched on earlier, which is the reluctance on the part of employers to hire people who are different from them. I mean, clearly, there's research that shows most people get jobs through networking and from people they know. And so being out of the labor market in today's economy is a real serious barrier for many people. 
But for people with a disability, I think it's a significant barrier, this, this reluctance for employers to not hire people. And the more people are isolated, as we said earlier, the less likely they're to get a job. I think the third thing is poor skills and education. And like all people in the labor market, you need to have the appropriate skills and education to get a job. I mean, as sometimes we say here, it used to be you could take a shop class in high school and get a job as an auto mechanic and not have any special skills. But now auto mechanics need to have certain skills and credentials. Everything's computerized. They need to have technology skills. So far too many people, including people with disabilities, don't possess the degrees and the skills that are widely sought by today's employers. And of course, this also goes back to expectations, because if you don't expect somebody to work, then why would you need an education? Didn't we feel that about women many years ago? <laughs> you know, right. Why get an education if you're not going to be working? Yeah. And then I think that the fourth obstacle is mobility. And I use mobility instead of transportation, because today's workers need to be mobile and flexible. If there's a downsizing of a company... <clears throat> In a particular area, and there's not a lot of, let's say like an Appalachia, there's no work. If the only work <clears throat> is in a particular company that just closed, you need to be able to move to where the work is. And for individuals with disability who have a hard time getting around, that's a serious problem. They can't go to where the work is, and maybe they can't get to that particular job because of their high reliance on the public transportation system where there may not be the infrastructure for that. So those, to me, are the four major obstacles. Yeah, and that, that mobility is really a problem. Now, there are some companies that <clears throat> have considered, you know, allowing the person to work from home mm-hmm. because not, not just people with disabilities, various groups because of that mobility problem. But no matter what you say, not everyone does that. Many companies, they do that. You know who they do that with? The people that have worked there for a while. You know, the more experienced people, not the person that just started. But when they do do that, that does allow that other group to come in. But then many times you don't want to be in a situation where you're still isolated because then you're still not getting the impact of networking, of, you know, being at the company, of, of learning so much of the culture. So, um, you know, there are so many issues there. I agree with you. But hopefully we can keep working together to change some of this. And that brings me to my next question. Section 503, which, wow, am I getting a lot of calls about this, (laughs) from various corporations. It's so funny. Guess what everyone asked me? Joyce, what can we do to self-identify people more? Yeah. Versus, Joyce, what can we do to hire people? That that amazes me. That is everyone's first question. But I I know at the uh, meeting, the National Summit in Delaware, I remember that this was talked about by some of the people in the audience. What do you think, reforming regulations for affirmative action as far as improving employment? Do you think that would have an impact? Well, you know, I'm a mixed mind about this because I do think that proposed regulations will certainly bring more attention, reflection, and focus about hiring people with disabilities on the part of employers. But as you said, I think employers are going to do what they're doing, which is what you say they're doing. They're first going to find out whether they have anybody with a disability or self-identify with a disability. And I'm not sure whether that's a good thing or not. I don't, I don't know. I just really don't. And 
As a researcher, I would, of course, like the federal government to invest some resources into putting in place a research and evaluation agenda around this regulation to see whether over time it does improve employment, and if not, why not? You know, we make these changes, and then we don't see whether we know they're working or not. And I I believe in sort of the do-no-harm thing, and so I just want to make sure there isn't a backlash. And so that's why I'm a mixed mind. It's like, but as I said, the researcher in me says, let's let's do some research. If we're going to put it in place, let's make sure that we're doing it right and we're not creating a backlash against hiring people with disabilities. Well, you know, I believe if this happens, it will be a significant increase in the employment, even if it's 1%, because it's been nothing. So I believe it will be an improvement, but that is a great idea, um, and I will share that with people, you know, that I'm working with um, about your idea, you know, about the research, following all of this. See, if that would happen, then you would know what's really going on. You right. know what I mean? As opposed you, to what people will say is hearsay about what's yeah, going on. Because yeah. that's what's going to happen, is they're going to start talking to employers, and either employers are going to tell you what you want to hear, or it's just going to be hearsay. You know, it's going to be like, oh, well, I was talking to company X, and they said this. Well, that doesn't necessarily mean that's exactly what's happening. So it would be great if we had a little bit more rigor from the beginning when this thing starts to be able to know exactly what is going on and whether it does make any improvement in the workplace or in the employment of people with disabilities. But, you know, any little thing is good. I just I don't want this to become a massive program for consultants to help companies and don't mm-hmm. get any results. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is right. And that is what I'm fearful of also um, because, you know, part of the regulations about training – Mm-hmm. How can I see people wanting to do this? You know what I mean? Yeah. And to me, you won't change the work face of America until you see people with disabilities working there. Exactly. But to all my friends listening to the show, hey, this is a great idea. So here's your person from Rutgers that could help us with that. And just so you know, Kathy is the chair of AAPD. I will be suggesting that. Great. Hey, I had some impact today. <laughs> Well, I mean, you would be one person that would be great doing that at Rutgers because of the work you've already done. But, see, my feeling is if someone was doing that, if you were doing that, then there would be no fluff. (laughs) No, you know what I mean? You could say this is what's really happening. Exactly. Not what people are saying. Exactly. And when you have that data, you know, it doesn't lie. You have it in front of you. Absolutely right. There you go. We've already helped Section Solve 5 the, the Rehab problem. Act right there. Um, so do you have any advice, Kathy, for people with disabilities listening to this show who are totally depressed because, you know, with self-efficacy, you know how this thing you talked about before? Yes. Why bother? I won't get anywhere. Well, I, I do have more positive, you know, advice. One is, Obviously, I've said this, but it's very important for people to to stay in school or be in school and attain the skills and credentials and education they need to get employed in today's labor market. It's too many people with less than a college degree are unemployed, underemployed, or have dropped out of the labor market. And this is especially the case post the recession. So 
and too many people with disabilities don't possess the degrees or skills that are widely sought by employers. So one, it's vitally important that people stay in school and get the skills and degrees they need or be flexible enough to sort of retool if they've lost their job. Second, I think Today we see more and more job seekers needing to be more self-directed in terms of their career and employment. And so individuals who aren't technically savvy or don't have access to the Internet or don't know how to use it are a serious disadvantage. So it's important for people to keep ahead of the curve when it comes to technology. And so I think that's another advice is just, you know, because you're not going to be able to go into an office and apply for a job. Almost everything is online. And so finally, it's also important to stay networked to people. And I think that, as I said earlier, isolation and a lack of social network is a real barrier to getting work. And opportunities are there if you connect with people. And I think just staying active, even if, you know, one of the things we see in our research, and I'm sure you've seen this, is volunteering or being in an internship if you're a student is very vitally important to continuing that sort of network. And so those are my three takeaways for people today. You are singing my message there about volunteerism and, of course, internships. But I always tell people, you want to meet people, do the right thing, and the right thing will happen for you. Go out and do volunteer work. This is how you meet people. But just as you said, if you don't know anyone at all, I often say, you know, we've found employment for over 800 people with disabilities, and we work with federal agencies, private sector, you know, all these different groups, and we'll find employment for someone, and you don't know how many times someone will say, wow, am I lucky I found Bender. And the sad part about that is they're probably right. You're right. Absolutely. Do you know what I mean? I yes. don't mean that in a bad way. No. I'm meaning if you don't know someone, it's very hard, hard enough when you have a disability, but you have to know someone somewhere, someplace, you know, someone that can help you, no matter who you are, but definitely if, as you said, you've been isolated. And I do well, think Kathy, unemployment is isolating, so one has to get out of right. your comfort zone. Right. Well, you are very accomplished. You did all that work in state government. Now here you are at Rutgers. Um, But if you had to say what you consider your greatest accomplishment, what would that be? Well, I think there's a couple of things in my career that I've been proud of participating in and accomplishing. And I I would probably, I have to say I have maybe three. I'm going to give you three. One is um, 10 years ago, the September 11th fund was asked the Heldrick Center to help them establish an employment program for the thousands of workers in New York City and in the New York region who'd lost their job because of the terrorist attacks on the World Trade Center. And my first job at the Heldrick Center as executive director was to lead and manage that project. And I have to say, it was both a pleasure and an honor to work with the September 11th Fund. That was the fund that was funded by the, the, the telethon after the attacks, and the nonprofits in New York City and the City University of New York, um, I was able to work with them to design a program in three months. We spent $70 million, and we helped getting over 11,000 people back on their feet, and people from all walks of life, from the financial planners to Chinese garment workers to to the guy selling uh, pocketbooks on the corner to graphic artists who were freelancers. So, that I'm very, very proud of. And in fact, I was in New York 
last week, and I went by the new National Monument, and I was just felt like I was so happy to have been part of that. And I would say, second, my work in New Jersey state government designing and implementing welfare reform. Well, at the time, it was kind of controversial. I feel that I worked with a really great team at the state who took great pains to put in place a program that was both humane and realistic, and it resulted in helping to move thousands of women off of the welfare rolls and out of poverty into a better economic outlook, and it really goes into my third thing, which is I think a lot of the work I did in those two things have really helped me be proud of the work we're doing at the Heldrich Center in the disability employment area. I think that this is the most important social policy area and issue in this country right now. I feel that we are contributing to the conversation. I feel we're having an impact and developing solutions, and so I'm very proud of being part of that. Wow. Well, you know, any one of those things is enormous because I always tell people, you know, you can't change the world, but to one person you may be the world. Think what you did for the even just that story about 9-11. As you said, whether it was the person at the corner or, you know, an investment banker, that is truly tremendous, as is all of these things such as how you're going to help us through that research with Section <laughs> 503. Well, what message do you want to leave with our listeners today, Kathy? Well, it goes back to what you just said about research. And I would say that as a, I'm going to say as a researcher, it's very important to both evaluate and assess what we're doing policy-wise, program-wise as a country and ask ourselves, is this the best we can do? Is this what we ought to be doing today in terms of policy and practice? I think national workforce policy in this country, especially that affecting people with disabilities, is stuck in a rut. It's based on a labor market from the 1930s and 60s. I think our policies aren't in sync with today's labor market. And so I want to ask the listeners to continually ask, is this the best we can do? And if the answer is no, speak up to effectuate real change and try to make some changes and stuff. Because until, unless we advocate and question what we're doing today, we're not going to make any progress for folks tomorrow. Amen to all of that. So Kathy and I are off with AAPD first, and then we'll be making this suggestion to the White House all from a radio show. How do you, I had the right guest on today. <laughs> no doubt about it. Well, we end every show with a quote from a famous civil rights leader. But before we do that, Kathy, thank you so much for being with us. Thanks so much, Joyce. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk to you and to talk to your listeners. And you're doing a great job, and I'm very happy to be part of this. Oh, thank you. So our quote today from Tony Quello, wow. Is it ever fitting? And that is, work gives us dignity, says Tony Quello, author of the ADA. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. Talk to you all next week. Voice America would like to thank you for tuning in. Please join us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another installment of Disability Matters right here on the Internet Leader and Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com. 
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.